So our podcast is available to anyone to listen uh, on your iPhone in the iTunes store or on your Android through Google Play. You can search the Sylvester team and uh, re-listen or listen for the first time. Um, it's up there for your pleasure. I want to remind each of you today that our book of the month is by Brian Tracy, and it is Psychology of Selling. We do highly recommend that you purchase the book so that you can make all your notes and uh, go back for reference as opposed to just borrowing it. Um, listening to a book is, of course, a great idea. Um, but psychology says that nothing replaces the written word holding the book in your hand and using more senses uh, than just hearing. But uh, we'll take it either way that we can get it, Dick. Now, today, we're going to talk about underwriting strategies, and I know Dick has got a lot to share with you. Thank you, Connie. Uh, why is underwriting so important? I think that's where we need to start the conversation because that's where it all begins. Um uh, Yes, we have to set the appointment, we have to call the lead and everything like that, but the very first meet to the to the sale starts with the underwriting. And whenever you sell a policy, what's it, let me explain to you the process that's going through. When I first started selling insurance, my, my process was this is for selling. And then you have a first death claim and you realize the impact it has on people. But what the process that takes place here, guys, is – after you've connected with the people, you've earned their confidence, and they say yes, what you've just done is you've, when you sell a policy, you've transferred the risk of providing a lump sum of money for that family from the husband or breadwinner to the life insurance company. So when you kind of start thinking in terms of it, in, in terms of transferring risk, now the thing of it is if that person is unhealthy, you're transferring a much higher risk uh, or a risk classification to that carrier. So the carrier has to decide, is it worth the premium I'm going to charge to accept this risk, or will I be better off walking away from it? And many times they walk away from it because it's de a decline. And we're going to go through that process today on where do you go if and when that happens. So in some cases, the risk is too great. The life expectancy is too short uh, for the carrier to accept, and they say no, okay? I think we understand that part of the process. You know, even if we know nothing about life insurance, we understand some people are just too risky to insure. Well, when the life insurance company accepts an application, they issue you a policy, say for a 29-year-old, a 39, a 49, or a 69-year-old. They accept the risk, they issue the policy. Now, the life insurance company can tell you today, if you write a case on any one of those ages today, they can tell you how many of those people are going to be dead in a year. What they can't tell you is which ones. They don't know who. But understanding that concept there, now how do they do that? They do that based on information and knowledge that they have through the actuary tables that they've worked on for over 100 years. They, these have been being developed, so they know what they're doing. So what would change that? Well, COVID would be one of those things, you know, because they, they didn't price this for COVID. I shouldn't say that. Now, this 
six one happened and probably the underwear for press for we saw changes in last year. We suddenly had a voting question. Have you been both? Um have you had, you know, some votes for some of the things that changed in writing in the process of because they have to file these cases with your interest can change the right. They can make it more difficult to get. So that's how they kind of protect themselves from this. Now, now that you kind of start to understand this principle, what does all this have to do with you as the agent? And I say that because me as an agent, for years I thought this stuff is for selling. It's not necessarily for using. And we have a tendency to think, I just need to write the application and let the insurance company decide if they're going to take the risk or not. It's their responsibility to find out through MIB, through pharmacy reports and everything else. Well, that's, guys, that's not really how it works. And, and I hope that this comes across today with everybody. We as the agents, we're partners with both the client and the insurance company. Okay, and I say partners were more of an advocate for the client. <coughs> Excuse me, we're more of an advocate for the client, and and I say that that advocacy is if there's a health issue, it's our job to find a company who will accept that risk. That's the goal we have here. Uh, the other part of this is we're a partner with the insurance carriers because we're supposed to be the eyes and ears for the company so that they can make decisions based on accurate information. They don't want us cooking the books. You know, any company that's cooking the books is giving a false impression to somebody that I won't say it's illegal, but it's certainly not right, okay? Since we are partners with the carriers, we're expected to find the truth and tell the truth. And let me give you an example. This actually happened to me. Uh, I had sold this guy insurance two or three times. He would get it. He would drop it. And to him, it was a cat and mouse game. And the last time I went to see him, I'd had two really good policies on him when he was perfectly healthy, and he let them go. All right? So I go back the last time, and... Um, Actually, that's the next one. This particular one here, well, I'll do that now. I walk in the house. Now, I'd sold him insurance before. He did smoke. And uh, I see some oxygen tanks sitting around. And I said, Jim, I said, uh, what are the oxygen tanks for? And he looked at me with a little twinkle in his eye and a little smirk on his face. Oh, I just do a little soldering. And they do use oxygen for soldering, but not the kind of tanks he had. Well, I had to put on there, he said he didn't use it, but I put in my notes that the client says he does not use oxygen, but I saw three tanks in the home. He said it was for working. When he died 11 months later, they denied the claim because he lied on the app. He had, in fact, been taking oxygen for the uh, emphysema that he had. Now, because I had put it in the notes, I was protected. I protected myself, and I alerted the company to the risk they were taking. Okay? So, again, I was being forthright 
with the uh, company. And had he told me he used oxygen, we would have gone a different direction. But I knew, I felt like he wasn't being forthright with me. Let me give you another example. If they say they don't smoke, but you see cigarette butts all over the place, and the place smells like cigarettes, um, it's our responsibility. Uh, do do, I see some cigarette butts here. Do you smoke or use tobacco products? And the client responded, no, those are for my son. And in this particular case, I believed him, but I did put the, in the notes that I saw cigarettes butts around and uh, that they were because of a family member. Again, I protected myself just in case, and uh, that person did die within the two years, and um, there was no record that he ever used tobacco products, so they covered the claim. So what might they do, Dick, um, when they're doing that investigation within the two years? Do you think they'd maybe go to his workplace and ask if he'd ever bummed a cigarette? That has happened on a lot of occasions, Connie. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, when somebody dies, and all life insurance companies, thanks for bringing that up, all life insurance companies do an investigation if somebody dies of natural causes within the first two years. If they die in an accident, they require an autopsy to make sure there was no drug use, no alcohol, or that they weren't drunk or something of that nature. Uh, and I think the states perform an autopsy of some sort on just about every accident case. But on a natural death, they all companies will go in and they will make sure, say, for example, somebody died of cancer or heart attack, they will go back and look at their medical records for the two years prior to that to see if there's any mention of the client discussing the reason that they died as being a problem with their doctor. So if they went in and said, hey, I've had some chest pains, I think it's acid reflux, and the doctor doesn't pursue it and the guy dies of a heart attack, that's probably going to be a decline because there was some notice or knowledge of a heart condition, you know. So that would be just pretty much a call on the carrier's end, um, and that's probably pretty, yeah. Does this happen often? No, it really doesn't. But we just need to be aware of, that's why it's so important that we answer the questions uh, correctly in that. Now, what I wanted to convey to everybody today was the insurance companies are willing to accept some of this added risk. They just price it accordingly. You know, they'll raise the price on the policy. So when you start to understand that they price policy based on the risk they're accepting. For example, people who smoke have a significant shorter life expectancy. Well, rather than the company declining the case and say, we don't take anybody that smokes, what they do is they raise the price to accept the risk accordingly. Now, since we're partners with the insurance company, we have the responsibility to record all that information so the product can be priced properly. Now, where do you start on this? How do I best do this? Well, the very first thing you start with is the height and weight chart. So before we move to height and weight, I just want to add one thing about the smoking. Um, there have been agents who have been tempted when they saw the smoker rates because they're close to double, and they've been tempted to just answer the question no, thinking, oh, it won't matter. Well, it will matter. Uh, one, it would 
could cause you to lose your license. I'll never forget one year we were actually in uh, Portugal with the Foresters Company, 2007, and we had the distinct pleasure of sitting at the table with a compliance officer, which we'd actually never met a compliance officer. He was quite the guy. And he explained some of the things to us that could be red flags. For instance, if they have an agent who sends in 20 applications um, to Forrester's um, Strong Foundation and all 20 of them are non-smokers in a row, that's a red flag. And they will look at some of those uh, applications. They might even call three to five of the clients and inquire about their, you know, tobacco use. Um, But the problem is they know that out of 20 applications or whatever the number is, okay, one of them is probably going to be a smoker. And so there's what they're thinking is, hmm, maybe this agent is clean sheeting. What does that mean? Just checking no to every box. And if an agent is doing that, they're probably checking no to some other boxes that should have checked yes. So just uh, to beware that you're being watched, uh, so to speak, uh, because you are expected to do a good job. We are the eyes and ears of the insurance company. That's interesting. I remember an agent that did that was clean sheeting when we very first started this simplified issue because it's a it's an easier product to deceive the insurance companies, and uh, they ran uh, just like Connie said a number, and that year he never had one person that smoked, and when they saw that within two hours he was terminated with cause, which meant he could never get a life insurance license with another carrier. So, you know, that does happen. I do want to point out, too, when we look at height and weight charts, the weight is one impairment, and they look at weight as an impairment like heart disease. If somebody, if the height and weight chart is set up, and if you look at your simplified issue height and weight charts versus a regular height and weight chart for a client, that is fully underwritten, they'll accept between 45, 47, 48 pounds more than the standard weight with anybody else. Well, if you know somebody that has a a standard height and weight and they put on 50 pounds, that changes a lot for them. And so when you're starting to look at this, if, if the only thing wrong with them is they're just a pound or two under the height and weight chart, you know, anything else is going to put them over the max for for that risk that they're willing to accept. And so I always start with the height and weight chart first to make sure that they're not too short to begin with, okay? So Uh, let me ask you this. What if the um, weight limit is 220 mm -hmm. and the client tells you they're 219? What might you do at that point? I'd probably have them go upstairs and go on a scale. (laughs) Because the insurance company looks, that's a good question, Connie. The insurance company looks at somebody that is that close to the chart uh, of being coached by the agent. You know, if you're 220, that's a decline, but if you're 219, you pass. That's one thing. But the other thing of it is, how many of you on this call here today, if someone asked your true height and weight, would give them your true height and weight? The insurance company realizes that you're, whatever we put down there for height and weight, in most cases, the client will weigh anywhere from three to ten pounds more than what we put down. And I literally had this happen one time. Guy gave me his height and weight. I said, you don't look that heavy. Would you go up and get on that scale? 
and uh and because he was about four pounds overweight and i and he did and he came back down and he literally was like 14 pounds less than what he thought he was you know and i put that note on the application that i had him go weigh himself while i was there you know but that is a very good point uh now for those of you to think that doesn't matter guys if they're one pound over the height and weight chart it is an automatic decline if they're within five pounds of that they're probably going to do a phone interview just to make sure that the client because when we ask that question they'll tell us one thing but when they get a call from an uh, authority from the insurance company uh, it's kind of like truth serum mm -hmm. they kind of point out that they have uh a little more weight on there than they're talking about. So, you know, starting with height and weight chart is very first. Now, how do we go to the next step to provide and make sure that we're underwriting this properly? Where do we get that information? You know, well, Equus has done a phenomenal job of putting together a term and UL underwriting guideline, and they've also done one for final expense guidelines. Now, where do you find that? Equus has got that, and guys, the first thing you want to do is when you locate these, they're long, they're 38 or 40 pages each, but they are worth their weight in gold. You can go to the training center for new agents start here, and this week, the uh, passcode is success. That does change, but right now it's success. Go in there, and uh, at that point in time, you'll have it. They'll ask you another question, and this um, passcode is the same. It's success again. And print out the term UL guidelines first, and then print out the final expense ones for the same thing. Become familiar with them. Don't memorize it. I mean, you know, there are, you know, the good news is everything in there we don't have to deal with most of the time, but there are some that are very common uh, asthma, uh, heart condition, cancer, arthritis. Arthritis. I've never known anybody to die of arthritis. And I remember my first decline because of that, and I called up and I said, Mark, why'd you decline this? I said, the guy's got arthritis. He said, Dick, we're not worried about him dying from arthritis. He said, but the medications they take for arthritis will destroy their liver. He said, so that's what we're looking for here. That's why some of the carriers have these questionnaires that we fill out. Um, so, you know, asthma, uh, again, if they've never been hospitalized, it's not usually a big deal. But these are all things that we deal with on a regular basis that you need to become a little more familiar with. Now, the um, the, the carriers have put together a, um, a decline list of things they will not accept. Uh, it's not all-inclusive but it gives you some idea of some things that if they have it, they're not going to accept. It's an excellent resource to start with. And incidentally, that height and weight chart for the term in UL is in the back of that uh, guide that uh, Equus has put together. And it's also there's a different height and weight chart for people for final expense because they will accept more risk with the final expense so you can be a little heavier there and still be included. Um, let me give you an example. For uh, if I had, excuse me, if I had somebody that had angina, and they want a hundred thousand dollars of life insurance, I'm going to go to the term guide that I just described to you a minute ago, and I'm going to look, and it says right there, angina is a decline, all across the board. Now GPM indicates that they may consider this, and they probably would have up until about six months ago, but in the last six months they have 
evidently had more death claims than they priced it for, and they have really curtailed back their leniency on different things. So I am not going to use GPM as my guide. I'm probably going to assume that if the other carriers won't take it, now GPM won't either. So just be aware of that. So, okay, they're not going to take when you look at it on the term basis. They're not going to take it. So what do you do then? Well, at that point in time, you're going to take a look at the final expense because the final expense is a little more forgiving. Um, we, if, if they won't take it, look at the final expense to see what it looks like there now. When I did that this morning, I looked at angina. If it's angina over two years, most of the final expense companies will take that. You know, now what you need to look at is find out what drugs are they taking for angina. And and Forrester's has a really good medication list of knockout drugs. And I just posted it in group me. All right, thank you very much. Now, it's not all inclusive, so there are other drugs um, that are knockouts, but that gives you a pretty good place to start. The other thing on the knockout drug list is a lot of times clients will give you a generic drug that is the same thing as, say, um, Warfarin, but it has a different name. So when somebody gives you a drug when you're doing your risk assessment on the phone, ask them what it's for. Um, a number of the high blood pressure drugs are used for congestive heart failure and for blood pressure. So if they give you a high blood pressure, you'd ask the question, is that used for high blood pressure or do we have a little bit of a problem with some congestive heart failure? You know, because they're going to ask that question. And again, this is not all inclusive. It just gives you some idea of where to start and how to go about doing this. And uh, many times, once you get to this point, Sometimes it will require a call to an underwriter for risk assessment, just for a clarification. Now, keep in mind, when we look at the uh, encumbrances here, height and weight is one, uh, smoking is another, there's smoking, insulin is another one, and unfortunately, the guideline that you're going to be looking at only deals with these as a single issue. So it looks like asthma, they'll take. Uh, it looks like... Uh, whatever, that they'll take that with the height and weight. But when you add everything together, and I'm going to give you an example of how the underwriter looks at this here in just a moment. But this is where you, once you talk to the underwriter now, what the underwriter is going to do when you call in to talk to them, they're going to look at each impairment with a table. For example, angina over two years may be assigned table, and I'm just picking numbers out of the air for illustration purposes. Angina over two years, they may say, yeah, we'll take that because we're looking at that as a two-table rating, and this product is priced for four tables. We'll accept that. But when you add insulin-dependent diabetes to that same client, that might be three tables. So now we're up to five. Blood pressure might be another table that puts them up to six. Uh, cholesterol might be one table you know, something like that. So now you're looking at, say they've got in these all these tables together a total of six tables. But the product that you've priced is a final expense product, and it's priced to include eight tables. So that's going to be a, a yes, we're going to take that, because all the tables added together are less than the maximum amount. But take that exact same client and put a smoking rate on there. Well, they might say, yeah, we're charging double for the smoking, 
but we're also adding three more tables because smoking and diabetes uh, and angina, that is not a good combination. So the very same client now has nine tables instead of the six, and it's going to be a decline. And Forrester has done an excellent job of giving an agent all the information they need um, to underwrite most diabetic uh, clients. So check out your Forrester's dashboard, and uh, I'll look that up and uh, put that in group me here in a minute. But uh, all of your underwriting information is on each carrier website, and those wonderful diabetic instructions are on your Forrester's dashboard. Now, the good news with all of this information that sounds so complicated is after about 30 days of doing this, you will just develop a sense of what will be accepted and what won't, and it's going to be like breathing. You just know pretty much where to go on most of the cases. Now, I do want to point out that AIDS becomes an issue, and uh, I get this question all the time. Well, I tried to do a 30-year term on this person, and it's a decline. They won't take it. Well, the person, and they'll say, and they're a 57-year-old healthy person, and they won't take it for a 30-year term. Well, it's because anybody over 50 doesn't qualify for a 30-year term. But that 57-year-old that's healthy would be a perfect candidate for a 20- or a 25-year term with simplified issue. So keep that in the back of your mind that the age is going to be a factor when you're trying to figure these things. So they qualify for that 20- or 25-year term, You've made the sale, the client's happy, and everybody's good. They just didn't qualify for that 30-year term. Now, I get this question frequently. Who takes somebody 86 years old? Well, understanding in the underwriting guidelines that Equus has put together and that the carriers are put together for you, they will tell you, you know, if you're a certain age, you can't go over 30 years. If you're a certain age, you can't go over 20. Some people you can't go over 15. So they'll tell you that. CVS, for those of you taking notes this morning, is the only company that will take people on a final expense as young as 40. Most everybody's 50. And we have a few 42, 45-year-olds that their health is banged up quite a bit. So that opens up a whole different opportunity. And they also are the only company that will take anybody over 85. And um, the first question uh, an agent often asks me is, yes, but isn't it very expensive? Yeah, it's very expensive. It's a huge risk. And the client has literally almost waited too long, so they should be very glad that you can offer that. And for those of you who have printed the term and final expense guidelines as we instruct in our onboarding class, um, you will see that at the very top of the beginning under the uh, name of each carrier, they tell you the age uh, that is acceptable. So. While we do want to help each and every person get the sale and cover and protect the client, sometimes we'll be on three calls at one time. And if you're calling to ask us a question like, uh, what age will they cover, that's something you can find yourself very, very easily. So let's just be aware that um, you may not be the only person in line. I did want to point out to you this morning that, especially on the final expense products, the sweet spot for final expense products is 50 to 85. But, Dick, you just said CVS will go 40 up to 89. Yes, they will. The sweet spot for CVS 
is 50 to 85. So if somebody 58 years old gets a policy issued and it just sailed right on through, you've got somebody that's 42 with the exact same health issues, they underwrite the under 50 a little more restrictively because the person has got these impairments at age 42. That's that's a little more of a problem for them. And at 86, you know, um, yeah, they'll take some of them, but you have to be a little bit healthier at age 86, and you might have to be at, say, 80, uh, 75 or some, something like that. So kind of keep that in mind. The sweet spot is from 50 to 80, you know, and understanding that going allowing under 50 pro- people to buy this, guys, that is a big deal for you. Uh, yes, it is a little more restrictive, but it's a big deal to you. And one of the keys to these finally expense products, especially for some of the people that are banged up, is try to find a payment that's going to call in that $2 a day range. If you've got somebody 85 or 86 years old, you know, 2 to $3 a day at that point in time, they're not, hey, they're 86. They know there's more glass sand in the bottom of the hourglass for them than there is in the top. So they realize they're getting closer to that date. And sometimes we think that payment is really high, but don't make that decision for them. Let them decide, you know, because, you know, they may only be able to get $3,000 of coverage, but you don't know how important that $3,000 might be to the family if, if they pass away or when they pass away. So many of them are willing to put 2 or $3 a day into the policy now because they can't save. You know, they're not savers, and they know they're not going to put that money aside. Uh, we were at a um, banquet last night, and I was sharing that with a lady sitting next to me. I said, some people haven't saved in 50 years, and they think now they're going to start saving for a funeral. No, it's not going to change. So that's why that's so important. The other thing of it is that two or $3,000 they might get toward the final expense, that may put the family in a position to pay cash for cremation you know, and doesn't put them into a financial burden. So kind of keep those things in mind. These policies provide them the discipline they need to start doing the saving. Now, let me close with this. Um, The medication knockout list that Foresters has, it lists certain medications as an indication of an outcome that the insurance companies are not willing to accept. So keeping in mind um, and, and this, many of you, I'm, I'm sure, not even familiar with it. We talked about it a moment ago, but the, uh, the term under guidelines, underwriting guidelines, has a medication knockout list there too. Again, it's not all inclusive, but one of the drugs, just to use as an example, is lithium. Guys, lithium is a very powerful drug used for bipolar. So if somebody's on it, They've got some serious issues, and the companies are just not willing to accept, accept that. So what do you do if you've got somebody younger that's bipolar and they're on lithium? Well, in that scenario, you know, they have a greater risk if they're younger of dying in an accident than they do of, of natural causes. So in that situation, America has got a very good accident plan that you can write up to age 60. So if a teenager's texting and hits them, they've at least got some coverage. So that's where you go with that. Plavix is another drug that is a very powerful uh, blood thinner. You know, it's used for heart attack, stroke. And because it's so strong, um, 
the carriers are not willing to accept that risk. Now, what you need to be aware of is the fact when somebody says, I'm on this drug and you don't have a clue to what it's for, ask them. Now, what is that for? Well, it's a blood thinner. Is it for thrombosis, blood clots in the legs, or is it something related to the heart? Well, it's related to the heart. So before you actually figure the rates, you've got that drug, and ask them to spell it. You've got that drug, Google it, and see if it's a generic for a drug that's on the knockout list. Because, again, the knockout list is not all-inclusive. They're giving you the primary name most of the time, not necessarily some of the generic names. So understanding what the drug is used for and understanding, uh, you know, not only the generic name for it, but the actual name gives you a chance. Now, some of these you won't find anywhere, and if it's a thinner, it's a good case there to call the carrier because they have those drugs. They can look that up for you.